This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Well, hello there. How are you? Really good to have you along this afternoon. A little later this hour after half past 12, hitting the road, heading out 280 kilometres southeast of Perth to Coolan, where it's really busy at the moment. I mean, you know, it's gearing up for harvest, but there is a big event on this weekend, the annual bush race. So everyone is on deck. We'll cross out to Richard Hudson who's driven out there this morning. That's after half past 12 today. Also today, well, to the other end of the state, to the north of the state, where the price of cotton is now sitting at the highest it's been all year round at around about, well, over $700 a bale. And WA growers are really cashing in. We'll get to that shortly. First, though, head of Bushfire Volunteers WA has raised concerns that Australia's new $11 million fire warning system is exaggerating the risks and unnecessarily alarming communities. The overhaul of the old fire rating system was recommended by the Royal Commission International Natural Disaster Arrangements in 2020. WA adopted the new system last month, changing the fire rating levels to moderate, high, extreme and catastrophic. Dave Gossage is the president of Bushfire Volunteers WA. He says there's a lot of confusion in the community and some are really struggling to understand it. From... Uh, my personal perspective in getting around talking to lots of volunteers, I've found there is a lot of confusion and as such uncertainty has sort of crept in as to what the change actually achieving for the community. So that summary of what the feel is, and I've just been um, at recent regional meetings with uh, volunteers and chiefs and the like, and certainly that uh, seemed to be a, a common theme. I suppose one of the, the frustrating things is the rationale behind the actual district being set based on the weather district rather than on community districts. It seems, I'll give an example, you could have a a long shire like the Shire Coolin on the western edge, it could be uh, raining, and on the eastern edge, because 10% of that whole area is deemed a high fire danger, the actual fire danger applies to that whole region, and a ban will apply. So there doesn't seem to be any logic or explanation of that, and that's certainly something that needs to be reviewed. Are some people in the sh- different shires fine with the current system? Are there, you know, you, you said a lot of people are confused, but are there some people who are fine with it and others that are deeply opposed, or is it mostly just in that sort of middle ground? I, I think, in all honesty, it's middle ground of confusion. They're not against it and they're not for it. It's sort of they're in the middle because they're not sure what are, are the actual benefits to the community. And with the new system, uh, one thing that is a, a positive is cutting the four colours down to the, the four fire ratings, which is very similar to the 
cyclone ratings you've got up north of the colour coding. So that has made it a little bit simpler to follow in a contextual point of view and a visual point of view. So that's certainly a, a, a better better outcome. However, the thresholds that go between the high and extreme, uh, the numbers that they use for determining you know, vehicle harvest movement bands certainly needs a lot of work because it depends on how something is applied as to the result that you'll get, whether you get a ban or not a ban. So it's very still quite a bit of work to be done in, in that area. There are so, con- concerns that the um, there will be a smaller window for people to actually reduce their fuel loads because we'll be going from damp, cool weather where you really can't successfully burn anything and then the new ratings will kick in and, and people won't be able to burn. So the window is very small and that that could pose a risk. What are your thoughts on, on that concern? The observations and talking to fire control officers from different parts of the state, they would totally agree with that, is the opportunities to burn are far less than what there traditionally has been. Dave Gossage, the president of Bushfire Volunteers WA with Ellie Honeybone. 10 past 12. Two of the top fire chiefs in the country acknowledge there are a few teething problems as Australia's new fire warning system is implemented. Rob Webb is the CEO of the Australasian Fire Authorities Council and Darren Clem is the State Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner. They say it's important to work through any challenges with the new system because the old system is outdated. Rob Webb says there's clear evidence the previous system was no longer fit for purpose. We came through a couple of disasters through 2009, the Black Saturday Victorian fires, which really showed that the, the old fire danger rating system wasn't going to be able to deal with things like climate change. The, the ratings were off the scale, so it needed a new system that was going to cope with what Australia had to offer. So um, over the ensuing 10 years, the, the country got together and developed a new system that recognised the complexity of the fuel types across Australia, the different types of vegetation, which until a year or two ago, there was two types of vegetation according to the old system, forest and grass, and we know it's much, much more complex than that. How many now? There's eight looking at different types of vegetation. In fact, the old system wouldn't work well in some um, coastal heathland, for instance, um, in in cold, windy conditions, would come up as low fire danger when we know we were losing houses across in different parts of the country. So it was really time to be able for us to use the the maximise modern science and technology, a system that was built in southeastern Australia in the 1950s and 60s, Um, built for fire managers. We designed a system built around community messaging and that was um, four simple levels that people can understand what they need to do at each of those levels. So now we have moderate, high, extreme and catastrophic and the concern is that it catastrophizes too quickly and then people are being told, catastrophic, you need to evacuate and yet it's green fields and even rain in some circumstances and that's what's concerning people and confusing people. Look, there, there has been some some situations in the in the initial stages where we haven't got the fuels quite right. We need to put more of those in, but we had the same concerns with the old system that we were tweaking into catastrophic too early in some in some of the fuel situations. So, we built a situation that when it gets to catastrophic, that it should mean that people need to be taking that that action, and it will be some of the fuel types as we get more detail in, and it's a it's a uh, it has more detail available to be put into it that um, we, we should be able to better warn the community of when they need to take that action. But, of course, there's going to be these challenges as we get inside, that right down to the on the ground, 
uh, understanding of those fuel types because it's a pretty complex beast, you can imagine. Have you been getting feedback, Darren Clem, about this and the, and the concern, particularly from farmers and, and when they can and can't burn? Yeah, the, the, the issues around permits um, are probably been the predominant feedback that we've received and, and we've been very uh, open about receiving feedback after the last bushfire season here in Western Australia and important to note... Which was uh, pretty mild. It was um, and, and even milder on the east coast and so what we're seeing at the moment is that in WA we've, we've been through a mild bushfire season but, but more of a bushfire, bushfire season our last season than what occurred on the East Coast. And so what's going on on the East Coast at the moment is is they're now heading into a more normal bushfire season. They're not going to, despite the events of the last couple of days with the flooding in, in Victoria, they, they're going to have a more normal bushfire season on the East Coast. And so uh, they're going to work through some of those teething problems that we worked through last year. But importantly, uh, we've received a lot of feedback uh, and we've welcomed that feedback uh, from the community, from farmers, from local governments. Uh, and we've got the opportunity and have done already to to work through some of those inputs that Rob spoke about. So things like vegetation proportions. So because we don't have the information there, is that part of the problem? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that seems to be part of the issue that you don't have enough info about what the vegetation is. That's one of the inputs that needs to improve over time, and that that can be driven through a whole series of different ways. But importantly picking up that local knowledge about uh, vegetation proportions and also, uh, importantly, about curing rates. So exactly how dry is, you know, observed, how dry is the vegetation that's going to burn, that's a really important input. ABC's country has been chatting to farmers in the Esperance Shire who have strong memories of the devastating fire back in 2015, as I'm sure you both do, that killed four people. Now, they would like to know what happens in this sort of scenario. So if I can just put this to you. A farmer is given a fire permit by a local fire control officer. Then on the day of the planned burn, the new Australian fire danger rating system says conditions have exceeded the threshold for fires. If the farmer thinks it's still a suitable day to burn... What's the process they'll need to go through to get a legally binding all clear to light a fire? So currently the, the, the bushfire regulations, the legislation says that um, if you've got a permit to burn and the, the fire danger rating is high or above, uh, then, uh, then your permit is suspended. So your permit usually doesn't get issued just for one day. It might get issued for a week. And so on a Tuesday, if it's high, then currently under the regulations you can't burn on that day, your permit is suspended, but then you you tip over to the next available day uh, that's not high. I think the concern is how reliable this is because, again, the feedback that we're getting that I'm sure you've got is that you are saying we're at extreme or catastrophic and I'm looking at the conditions and that's not what we're seeing. And so there's there's a little bit of distrust in the system, if you like. Look, and, and that's why it's important that, uh, if I go back to what I said earlier around having the feedback from, from local knowledge, particularly around vegetation types and proportion that might exist in a fire weather district and, importantly, the curing rates. And through local governments, there are a series of fire weather officers that are appointed to undertake those assessments, as well as, uh, obviously, your chief bushfire control officer and fire control officer who issue the permits. But currently, that's what the legislation says. Uh, and, and so if they go ahead and burn, there'll be consequences? There will be, yep. If I can just add that it's a common conversation we're having around the country at the moment and we're bringing together, we did this through the implementation phase, but until we saw the whites of each of the decisions that people are making, well, the whites of its eyes, we'll bring the experts from around the country together to talk through some of these decision-making processes. 
Is the community rating that we're using a high, the, the boundary of high, for instance, does the new fire danger rating, does that, does that fit for the, the requirement to burn operations, et cetera? So they're, they're, we're grappling with this in, in Queensland and New South Wales in different parts. So we're working with local authorities as, as, D, as DFAS are, but um, fire agencies across the country are doing similar things. And based on some of the feedback that we've received here in Western Australia and the example that you've, you've given there of, of Esperance is, you know, some of the discussion has been that maybe as we go forward in the future, we can, rather than look at what the rating is for uh, the use of a permit, we could look at the, what the fire behaviour index says. So currently there's a number that's given to, to whether that puts the, the rating for that day into high or extreme or, or whatever it happens to be. And uh, there might be ability with, with that local knowledge, the local fire weather officer that's appointed by the local government to be able to, to adjust it to suit uh, those local conditions. We're still in the discussion phase of that. But that is That's that is a, that, that is absolutely a change you're looking at, though. Well, we're looking at it. I wouldn't. It's certainly not uh, not in place yet. Would you support something like that? We'll certainly investigate it to see, but but we would need to change legislation to do that. And that wouldn't be something you could do overnight either. No. no. Okay. Uh, just quickly before I let you go, bushfire outlook. What are we looking at this summer? So uh, we're coming off. Um, uh, drier than normal winter. Uh, we already know, uh, and the for- forecast from the Bureau of Met has been around a, a drier and hotter spring. Uh, only yesterday, we were looking at some of the soil dryness uh, indicators for certain parts of the southwest of Western Australia, uh, and we're already at at a point where we're we're either on the five year dry, uh, five year average for dryness or, or slightly ahead of it. Um, and so we know that uh, what what that's all pointing to is is the fire season is going to start earlier this year in Western Australia. We, we expect to be dealing with fires in November ahead of uh, where it would normally start in December. So the key message to the listeners out there is now's the time to get in and, and do the work around your home. Uh, make sure that <clears throat> where you can, excuse me. Um, cleaning up around your home, if you're going to do that burning, obviously get a permit uh, if you need to in your particular local government area, but uh, get in and do that mitigation works around around your property is, is now is the time because uh, it, it is certainly going to start a bit earlier than it has done in the past. Darren Clem, he is the state's Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner, and you also heard from the CEO of the Australasian Fire Authorities Council, Rob Webb, speaking to Nadia Mitsopoulos on the morning show today. On the text, Doug in Narragin says, I agree with the volunteer firefighter. Extreme language is just pushing the ideology that the world is about to collapse due to global boiling. Is anyone looking at the rise of deliberately lit fires by environmental activists trying to push their narrative. This is the new danger, says Doug. Andrew says, read the discussion about the FDIs and permits. It needs to be driven on a local basis. The text 0448922604, 20 past 12. This is The Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. The price of cotton is now sitting at the highest it's been all year at over $700 a bale. And it's WA's Ord Valley growers poised to make the most of that price. And that is because Ord Cotton is making its way through the gin in southern Queensland right as I'm speaking to you this afternoon. Cotton trader Pete Johnson says it's a perfect combination of great prices and great quality for WA's budding cotton industry. Over the last 
few months, the cotton market's really sort of taken a taken a pretty good run run up. Uh, we were looking at prices around six hundred and fifty dollars a bale. X these East Coast gins back in May June. Right now, where values are kicking up towards seven hundred and beyond. So today, I've I've just sold cotton at seven hundred and ten dollars a bale. And um, it's it, it's good. We've got China coming back into the market, which is part of it. And the US crop has basically been edging backwards over the last few months with drought in Texas really taking the cream out of that crop. And are those bales that you're selling now, where are they coming from? Um, look, and that's a good point, Alice. Like the, the, the East Coast bales are starting to, to finish up. So still we've still ginning out the tail end of this crop over here and we're getting more heavily into the, the territory cotton and also the ord cotton. So probably halfway through ginning the territory stuff and just starting on the ord cotton now. So those those growers are, are, are catching the, the benefit of this tailwind the market's receiving right now. And are they catching the benefit? Did many people lock themselves into forward contracts or are people selling cotton at the price that it is now? Look, typically um, most growers will have some cotton forward sold. So we'll run a, a, a selling program through the season. So you might sell 25% before you ever plant it. And then 25% once it's up and going and, and another 25% just before picking. And then you, you sell the balance once once you're in the, into that ginning season and, and sometimes after ginning. So you, that way it kind of just averages things out. You, you, you try to take your opportunities when they present themselves. Mm, and minimise your risks. Can you talk me through, you mentioned that some of that old cotton is going through the gin down in southern Queensland now. What are those ginning results looking like? Look, from what we've seen so far, it's been great. Really, you know, good good gin turnouts. The quality, the qualities we've seen so far out of the order have been really, really good. Really good staple length, beautiful colour and um, better. Yeah, be- the staple length is better than I've seen out of the ord for for pretty much pretty much the best I've seen out of the ord to be honest and and the strength is the best we've seen for several years so it's it's really lovely cotton and some of the best that the across the across the country this year going out to a WA audience that term of staple length might um sound more familiar to wool growers is it the same kind <laughs> of concept as wool yeah absolutely like it's just the 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 length of each fiber and the, the longer, it, if you think of it from a spinner's perspective, for the, all those wool spinners out there, the longer the fibre, each fibre, the, the finer you can spin your yarn. And that goes for goes into the material that, you, that you, you're producing. So a lot of people will know about Egyptian bedsheets and, and Pima. Um, those are actually extra long staple varieties. Um, so the, they will, the, the longer the staple, the finer the the garment or the, the textile product that you can produce. And what's that quality compared to, say, quality coming out of southern Queensland or northwest New South Wales? Um, look, that we've we've had some very good cotton out of the out of the east coast this year as well. I think, and again, it's early days because we're only seeing the the first part of the the, the crop being ginned now. But I I I feel like the old cotton will be very consistent from what I've seen up there. The crops growing, the conditions were, were consistent. I, th- I think that overall, the yield crop should, on average, be 
as good or better than the East Coast. And you've got to bear with me here. I'm a I'm a I'm an Easterner, so I've got to I've got to be careful which audience is listening to what I'm saying. What about the quantity of it? How does that compare to the East Coast? Uh, I think yields yields in the yard are good. Um, they are probably the cotton we saw out of St George and Dirrambandi and in the McIntyre Valley this year was just superb in terms of the, the yield, like we were getting 14 to 15 bales to the hectare in many cases down here, whereas I think you, you know, an 11 to 12 bale to the hectare crop in the ord will be a really good result. Cotton trader and managing director of Left Field Solutions, Pete Johnson, speaking to Alice Marshall about the quality of the Ord Valley's cotton and the prices it's fetching right now. And on Monday, you're going to hear more about the Kimberley's cotton industry and how it's having a real impact on land values, the Ord becoming one of the most lucrative regions across Australia for growing cotton. That is a sneak peek of what's ahead on Monday's Country Hour. 26 past 12, and news headlines not far away at half past 12. Just before that, heading south now to the Corrigan, Wickapen area, just over 200 kilometres southeast of Perth, where there were a couple of ewe sales this week with close to 10,000 sheep on offer. Now, although the average price was nothing special, every ewe from the Corrigan yarding were cleared and sold on. Although over at Wickapen, livestock agents estimate about a third of the sheep were left behind. Wayne Peake is the commercial sheep manager for Elders WA. He says considering the seasonal conditions and the market challenges, he left the Corrigan sale feeling pretty good. While the price has never reached any, any great heights, um, the sheep were presented in great condition by the, the vendors and there was, there was um, consistent bidding right through the yarding. So in the end, we had a complete dispersal, as I said, and uh, we're pretty happy with the way it finished up yet there. When I spoke to you earlier this week, you were expecting not too much interest. Did the sale go as you expected? Um, as I said, we were pretty pleased in the end to get the, the coverage that we did. Um, there's still a lot of growers out there, unfortunately, are still trying to move sheep off farms. Um, the orders, you know, were coming in subject to moving sheep prior to the sale. Unfortunately, that didn't develop. But um, all in all, I think we did a pretty good job in the end of, of getting the coverage on the sheep that we yarded. So can you talk me through the prices that were paid here? The prices at, um, at Corrigan range from $50 up to um, high 70 75 or 6 I think the top price was there. Um, but pretty steady all the way through. And the, and the sheep were in very, very good condition. It was really a credit to the vendors out there. Um, the real sign of what the season that they've had. And how about here in Wickapen? The sheep in Wickapen generally, the woolly sheep sold very well, I thought. The lighter sheep struggled to find some competition. Um, again, a lot of the competition and, and, and bidders were, were probably in that southern area and some of the, the sheep through this area uh, didn't actually suit the rainfall areas. So that was, that was a bit hard with the majority of the sheep heading, heading to the south. And what was the average price? The average price, I would suggest for the day, is probably mid, mid-50s. Was that what you were expecting? We thought originally that the prices would be somewhere between that $50 and $80, and, and that's probably probably more in the $50, $60 range today, especially on the spring-shorn sheep. The woolly sheep, as I said earlier, sold pretty well. Yeah. But how do they compare to the sales that are happening in other areas, such as over east? 
Yeah, over east, I think you'll find over the last couple of weeks. They got off to a, a pretty good start early in the piece, but, but now their markets virtually have come back to a similar level to where we're at. And it's pretty hard to, to get some uh, coverage from the eastern states with the current fuel prices. Um, somewhere into Victoria, you're probably looking at $40 a head to move the sheep and, and why their sheep are making similar, similar prices. Um, they're not prepared to put that $40 freight on top of it. So what sort of prices are they paying for? Like, what's their top dollar compared to ours? I mean, we said what today was high 70s top high dollar. High 70s, yeah. Yeah, no, over there they seem to be able to attract that sort of 120 130 for their top price, but by the time you take the freight off, it's pretty well in comparison with what we're doing here. So. At the Corrigan and the Wickerpin sales, what was the energy like? No, you, you could tell. There was, a, there was a lot of people here just having a look. And just seeing where it was really at, and um, and you just you know wandering back through, you can just see people talking about the prices and and where they are and what they're going to do, and you know and we just hope that you know not too far down the track there's there's a bit of positive news and and hopefully the live export does crank up between now and and uh, the end of the year to to move some of these sheep that have been hanging around for the last six months out of the system. Were there any surprises today? No, there wasn't any surprises. I just I don't think we've seen a better yarding of of young ewes. Um, at any time, um, it's a real credit to the to the vendors that they've presented their the sheep in the in the order that they have. Do you think people got the price that they deserve? No, no, definitely not. I mean, it's not cheap to breed sheep, and um, and whilst people are disappointed, the other side of it is if they stay on the farm, it's, as I said, it's going to cost them a lot of money to get them through the summers. A lot of people are relieved that they've actually been able to move some sheep. Elders Commercial Sheep Manager for WA, Wayne Peake, speaking to Sophie Johnson. And I should just say, earlier we heard concerns from the Bushfire Volunteers WA about the new fire warning system. And we did speak to Dave Gossage. He is the former president of the Bushfire Volunteers of WA. I know that because Dan Sanderson has just texted through. Dan is the vice president of the Bushfire Volunteers WA. Dave is the past president, not the president. He's still a valued board and committee member. Lorraine Webster is the current president. I'm glad you're listening, Dan. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. 29 to 1. Jonathan Beale is here with an update from the newsroom. Hello. Hello, Belinda. A forensic investigator found to have defamed former Perth barrister Lloyd Rainey by suggesting he murdered his wife and got away with it has lost an appeal against the ruling. Last year, Mark Reynolds was ordered to pay Mr Rainey $350,000 plus interest over comments he made in a 2014 forum that was discussing the death of Mr Rainey's wife, Corin, in 2007. Dr Reynolds appealed against the decision, but today the Supreme Court dismissed his challenge. In 2012, Mr Rainey, who's always denied having anything to do with the death of his wife, was found not guilty of her murder. The Premier says he's confident changes made to the mental health ward at Perth Children's Hospital will prevent future sexual assaults at the facility. Roger Cook says the alleged rape of a 13-year-old girl by a fellow teenage patient last year is every patient's, rather every parent's, worst nightmare. He says since the incident, $7 million has been spent reconfiguring the ward and increasing staff. And the Reserve Bank has released its Financial Stability Review, warning Australian homes and businesses are vulnerable to financial stability risks. 
The RBA's latest health check on the financial system warns any shock to the global economy could have an impact on Australia with lower incomes and higher unemployment, challenging the debt servicing capacity of more vulnerable borrowers. More news, Belinda, at one o'clock. Jonathan, thank you for that update. 28 to 1 here on the Country Hour. More text coming through on the fire rating system that was introduced here in Western Australia. The new system came into play Uh, Last month, changing those fire rating levels to moderate, high, extreme and catastrophic. And the top sort of chiefs in the fire business across the country say, look, there are some teething problems, but it's all going to work out. And this system is going to be better than the old system. Uh, Michael in Busselton has text through saying the either deliberately lit fires, the text that came through just a few moments ago. And Michael says, I was under the impression that all those that thought the change in weather patterns was not real, but a left-wing conspiracy, were being treated for their illness. In the mid-70s, I knew some farmers in Condoblin in New South Wales, and the old fellow was telling me then the weather was changing, that they couldn't rely on the rains anymore for planting in May. Thank you, Michael. That text is 0448922604. Uh, 27 to 1 here on the country are Danny Burkett along just before the news at 1 and he's going to go through the wool market details for you. Not a lot changed in the market this week, but Danny knows best. He'll go through it all with you shortly. First, off to the Bureau of Meteorology and Catherine Shelf out with you today. Catherine, is it going to be, well, starting this afternoon, hot right across the Southwest Land Division? Hi, Belinda. Yes, look, it's a real summer pattern we've got going on at the moment. So we've got a trough near the west coast and the high is sitting well south of the country. So, yeah, pretty typical for summer. Um, So it's really uh, quite sunny and clear across the southwest land division and, yeah, warm to hot. So going for the mid to high 30s, um, mostly through northern parts. um, So the uh, central wheat belt and the Midwest there and uh, 33 for Perth. So um, definitely a bit warmer than usual for this time of year. Uh, very similar conditions expected tomorrow. So we'll still have the trough uh, near the West Coast. Um, a little bit of inconsistency in our models as to the time that it will move inland, but um, anywhere east of the trough uh, and near the West Coast will have another hot day. We will expect uh, fresh and gusty north-northeasterly winds, mainly um, sort of through the wheat belt, inland Midwest and the southern Gascoigne. So temperatures for tomorrow sitting around 36 to 37 degrees through the wheat belt and the Midwest and even into um, sort of northern parts of the Great Southern and the inland um, southwest, it'll be uh, 32 to 34 degrees, so quite warm. Um, slight chance we might get some fog along the Midwest coast, just depending if those winds come back in with a southwesterly. Uh, and if there's any smoke around to enhance that as well. But, yeah, generally sunny and warm tomorrow. Um, Sunday we do see the trough move inland, so it'll still be hot and with gusty north-northeasterly winds if you're on the eastern side of that trough. So, um, yeah, still in the high 30s if you're east of anywhere about sort of Kellerberrin and west of that um, sitting in the mid to high 20s near the west coast and a sea breeze will push in along the west coast there. Um, Sunday is probably more likely that we'll see some fog along the Midwest coast and uh, there's a number of burns going on around the place at the moment so smoke accumulation uh, might be likely on Sunday morning and will enhance any fog that could form.
On Monday, we do see a bit of a change. So we see that trough moving east and a weak ridge starting to push in. So we'll have winds generally pretty light, a little bit fresher um, southwesterly uh, through the Midwest and a little bit cloudy over the southwest corner and cooler as well with that uh, westerly change. And on Tuesday, uh, a weak cold front uh, coming across the southwest corner and also the ridge really starting to surge in. So uh, we will see temperatures uh, around the southwest corner drop significantly. So southwest of around Mandurah to Bremer Bay, temperatures down to 17 to 20 degrees again and uh, a few degrees cooler elsewhere through the southwest land division as well. And any showers from the front will mainly be south of Bustleton to Bremer Bay, so pretty pretty much near the south coast uh, and only a few millimetres expected, but a good west-southwesterly um, surge uh, pushing through most of the southwest land division and cooling things down. And Catherine, what have you got for northern and eastern parts? It's just pretty hot in the north, so temperatures in the Kimberley, Pilbara and the inland Gascoyne are sitting in the high 30s, uh, even 40 in a couple of places. Uh, We have had some thunderstorms yesterday um, through parts of the Kimberley. One of those dropped 32 millimetres, so starting to see some storms um, at the moment. There's a couple just in the north interior there, and we expect uh, we might see some more thunderstorm activity through the central and western Kimberley today. that will tick on sort of this afternoon and into this evening. But from tomorrow, um, storms really clearing off from the northern half, maybe just around the Dampier Peninsula north of Broome tomorrow, but generally clearing because it's just so hot and dry uh, with the easterlies pushing in. Um, in the goldfields in the southeast of the state, fairly quiet, just hot. Hottest day for the goldfields looks like Tuesday ahead of that nice cool southwesterly um, change that will push through and maybe some dry dry thunderstorms for the Pilbara today. Very high base, so gusty, but not really expecting any rain out of them. And then the warnings this afternoon. So we do have fire weather warnings out for the Midwest Inland and the Mortlock District uh, for today and for the Mortlock again tomorrow. So that's with extreme fire danger with the hot temperatures and windy conditions and a strong wind warning out for the Esperance Coastal Waters. Great. Thank you so much, Catherine. Appreciate that. 22 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And just checking WA's rainfall figures for the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. In northern and eastern forecast districts, must have been a thunderstorm here by the looks in the Kimberley Mount House airstrip, 32 millimetres. Unless that's a typo, I think there was a storm overhead. And then in the southwest land division, a few recordings of just 0.2 of a millimetre in parts of the southwest and the Great Southern, but that is it. 21 to 1. Danny Burkett along just before the news at 1 and he'll be here going through the wool market details, how the sales went in the east and also here in the west. Now, though, on the road to Coolan, about 280 kilometres southeast of Perth, where farmers are not only gearing up for harvest right now, but they're also madly preparing for the town's annual bush race this weekend. Richard Hudson is at the track right now. Richard, how's everything looking? It's looking an absolute picture. I know we say this every year, but it's about 29 degrees and blue skies. And I'm just underneath the main marquee at the moment, overlooking the racetrack and the Gillikin Lake, the Gillikin Salt Lake. They don't like it called the Salt Lake, by the way. It's just the Gillikin Lake and also the Gillikin Rock behind us. And things are certainly prepping up to be an absolute ripper of a day. It's a, it's a magnificent race day. And any changes this year? 
There is actually a small change. I got a, a, a bit of a notification about two weeks ago. So normally this race is on quite a sandy track. Last year I heard it was hard, fairly hard conditions. And two weeks ago I heard there was grass all over the racetrack. But uh, with me is the guy who's been in charge of putting this grass down. He, he was tasked with growing it and farming it, if you like, because he is a farmer. It's Graeme Robertson, who's the former president of the Coolin Bush Races Committee. Graham, it's not looking that flash at the moment, is it? No, it's not, Richard. Um, I've been following ABC weather and they haven't pushed any rain our way, so <laughs> we've been forced, as the grass starts to die, to... Um, yeah, rotary hoe it and get it left, level and soft, yeah. <laughs> I hear you actually watered it, though. You were, you were running a truck over it trying to water it, weren't you? Yeah, we were trying to keep it green, and that caused problems in itself that it compacted the track. Yeah. So then it was too bloody hard, and then we thought, well, we'd better do something about it. And yeah, it's, it's looking level. It's just, it'll be dusty, but we'll water it during the day, and it'll be perfect again. We're on the Lucchese's farm, so was this a bit of a trial for Serge and Mick to see if they'd get into irrigation as far as the cropping goes? Yeah, well, Mick was the one that did all the work on it, so while the husbandry was probably up to us, um, the rain is out of our control. That's about the only thing it is. Are there any other changes this year as far as the actual races go? Yeah, we've been limited uh, by racing and wagering because they're considerate of uh, horse health. Uh, so we've, horses can only race once, which is pretty tough when you have people coming from Durian Bay and stuff like that with a horse. If they can only race once, it's a big commitment. So we've had to do things to alleviate that problem and all the horses will only race once. That must be very hard. If they're only racing once, they, they're losing out on an opportunity to actually win some money. With us also is the current president of the Cool and Bush Races Committee, Tom Murphy, what have you had to do this year to try to soften the blow, if you like? Uh, welcome, firstly, Hutto. Uh, great to have you back. Um, what we've done is we've, we've always, I guess, paid our uh, horse uh, owners a, a fuel levy to come along uh, to the races. So we, we've increased our levy uh, to make it a bit more enticing to get here. But we've also just invested about forty, forty-five thousand dollars on brand new horse yards wow. which look incredible uh, and just the hope that if we really improve the conditions like the track as well it, it might be dirt but it's going to be fantastic um, hopefully those horse yards can keep the horses in because I, I think it was last year wasn't it my girls were at the top of Jillican Rock trying to spot the two that had fled yes we did have that was a couple of years ago now yeah it was a <laughs> bit of a I think we ended up sending a helicopter in the air to uh, to find them they were miles away but uh, yeah so we figure if we look after the uh, you know horses are very important to the bush races not the only part of it but but a very important part so if we look after them hopefully uh, that's a bit of you know small compensation for uh, only being able to race once. The special thing about the Coolin Bush race is they've been going for 28 years, and this is 28th out of 29, raising a huge amount of money for the local community as well. What's so special about them? Why do people keep coming back? I mean, this year they sold out in 39 seconds tickets, didn't they? 38, actually, mate. Oh, yes, sorry, sorry, uh, get it right. Um, they did. I don't know what it is. It's just good country hospitality. Um, you come here, you can have a, you can have a beer, you can have a bet, you can watch a horse race, you can watch a dog race. Uh, your kids have an awful lot of fun. Uh, you can eat great food, 
and just yeah get treated to uh, fantastic hospitality in probably I don't know about you mate it's one of the most beautiful places I know around here so um, yeah why wouldn't you want to come along Graham, just historically, this weekend it's going to be 36 degrees tomorrow, 37 forecast for Coolin itself. Have you had a hotter weekend for the Coolin bush races? Not that I can remember really, but it's only a state of mind heat, so we'll get by. We'll be <laughs> fine. We've had some cold ones, and I'd rather this one than the cold one. I'll ask a couple of the farmers, the real farmers, not the ones who end up, uh, you know, butchering the, the grass around the racetrack, in a moment about what 36 and 37 degrees does to the crops. But hey, thanks for your time on the Country Hour. It's 16 to 1 on the Country Hour. Now, as far as, far as uh, the crops in this area go, the, there are a number of agronomists in this area, and with me is Jen Wisson. Jen, your husband is an agronomist, isn't he? His phone must be going off. What was he like this morning as far as getting calls from farmers a- about this harvest? Um, I actually had a call from Ben, who's living it up in Phnom Penh in Cambodia at the minute, Richard. Uh- <laughs> When I say living it up, that's actually a complete lie. So Ben and two Year 9 students from Coolin District High School and two teachers have headed over to Cambodia to do some humanitarian work. They're making their way through the country and they're going to help rural people in Cambodia to get some new houses, some new wells in their communities and the Coolin community, plus lots of people across the um, state, have actually help fundraise and donate, including the Coolin Bush Races, to send the two students over to Cambodia and the two teachers, and Ben's lucky to be helping to escort them. And, um, yeah, we just hope it opens their eyes to how other people in other rural areas across the world live, and we're just so lucky out here. We've had some amazing seasons, and we thought that our community could give back to people who are less fortunate. That's awesome, because they're going to a part of Cambodia that's involved in farming as well, aren't they? There's that rural connection. Totally. So all of the places they're really heading through, so they've been in Phnom Penh, the capital, doing a bit of a cultural induction, um, really giving them an insight into why they're there and why the Cambodian country needs so much assistance from and foreign aid. And then they'll make their way really just through rural areas and to places that tourists don't go. They're travelling with a foundation, a not-for-profit foundation, who are coordinating the trip. And they're part of a group of people who've come from all over Australia. So they're going to be, like I said, building some houses. They've had to fundraise houses. And the Coolin community alone has helped to raise the money for them to build three new houses for three families over there. And these families live on you know, less than $5 a day. They've been saving for about 10 years to receive their new houses. So these two girls and the teachers and Ben will physically hand over the keys to um, these families that will receive the donation, which has come from all the people who've supported it in Coolin. That's pretty special. And what a great experience for the girls. So amazing. I think though their lives and perspectives will be really changed after this. And we're um, hoping to make it an annual initiative. So each year, um, different kids from Coolin can apply to go. We had six applicants this year and two of the lucky girls um, are over there right now. But honestly, any of them could have got sent over there. It's such a great group of kids out here and, yeah, we're really proud of them that they got selected. You'd have to think everyone who's involved in that experience, not just the trip, but they're going to bring something back here to Coolin, aren't they, as well? A big part of it was to help foster leadership within our community and looking at the younger generation, um, looking at different programs that we have, and we just hope that 
um, one day they'll bring those skills back to our community and um, also just the amazing opportunities that are available for country kids that are still in their district high schools and we wanted to give them an opportunity to experience something really incredible whilst actually making a difference. That's awesome. What's he doing with the calls that he's getting from growers who don't know that he's overseas? (laughs) Shout out to Justine, our other agronomist. Uh, She's currently doing all of Ben's work at the minute. What's different? Every household's like that. I think she's out looking at um, people desiccating their canola. So I'll let someone else talk a bit more about that. We'll get onto that now. But, uh, hey, thanks for your time on the Country Hour as well. Thanks, Richard. Someone else who has been an agronomist in this area is Brad Smoker. Brad, uh, you've sort of hung up the hat in one way, haven't you? Is that right? The, the, you've retired from being an agronomist? Yeah, correct, Richard. The consulting hat has um, gone on the rack for the time being and concentrating on yeah, farming land at the moment. But also with this is Jared Noble. Both of you are farmers doing cropping and sheep. Overall, how's the season gone? Let, let's start with the rain. Did the rain come? Uh, we've, been, we've been lucky. We, have, we got some pretty good rain at the beginning of well, end of March, early April. And that set us up pretty well, and I got guys getting their canola in and their lupins. Uh, and then it, it dropped off for a, till the end of end of May, and then we got another good dumping. And it's been it's been spasmodic, but a couple of good dumps, so we can't complain. Overall, how's your place looking, Brad? Would you say average, above average? Yeah, it'd be slightly above average. Um, you know, quite lucky that there's yeah good levels in the in the dams at the moment so yeah we're going to be able to carry stock through the through the summer you know quite easily for a change so that's quite good. You can't complain can you when you hear what it's been like in other parts of uh, uh, the the grain growing regions in Western Australia particularly in the northern sections? Yeah definitely yeah yeah no we everyone feels for all every WA grower and um, yeah wish everyone a happy and safe harvest because it looks like it's yeah on people's doorstep already. So when are you going to start? Uh, yeah, most likely be when the machines are ready, of course. But you know, a fortnight there'll be um, yeah, a bit of action, I think. Starting with the, are you about the same, Jaron? No, you'd be behind yeah. schedule because you forgot to actually plant yours on time. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, we were we were a bit slow. We had a couple of issues that went along, but um, no, no, it's um, it's all looking pretty good. We're we're a bit lucky mainly because we have got a bit of subsoil moisture from that very early rain, and I think now it's starting to really show. The the, the wheat's still looking green and doesn't look that stressed so yeah I think I think we'll be above, average or a bit above I think yeah when I was driving in what I noticed in on some of the streets and some of the farms just in this area I noticed there's a lot of fluorescent green uh, bunting going up on some of the power poles and the power lines and everything seems to be a lot of work going into that any explanation as to why that's happening just prior to harvest I think there has been a few issues in the past um, very unlucky but yeah just some, sometimes you can be unlucky. <laughs> if the power goes out in Coolan, there's a, quite a few people who call Jaron and just check whether he's been out spraying his canola. <laughs> was that last year or two years ago? It was about 10 years ago, but it seems to be that it gets mentioned every year. <laughs> yeah, before we, uh, I leave you, uh, as far as the sheep go, you both have sheep. How are you going with the current prices? There's been a lot of attention on that in the media recently. They're, they're pretty ordinary. But are you are you going to hang in there with sheep? Uh, yeah, well, I'll be hanging. In. Yeah, I'm not going to. I mean, it's not a overnight sort of thing. You can't come and go. Um, yeah, it is. It is a bit difficult at the moment. We've got ewes sitting on the on the farm that I'd really like to have gone five or six weeks ago, 
but I managed to load some lambs this morning and I've got a few more going on Tuesday so you know it, it's, it's there but it's, it's yeah it's difficult. And roughly Brad how many farmers in this area would be sheep do you reckon percentage wise? Uh, there's definitely 50% of the landholders in the Shire would yeah would own own stock and, and I think that yeah people are going to bunker down and and ride this wave and keep our mantle of um, one million sheep in the in the Shire of Coolin we're in the top 10 in uh, in Australia shires that have um, one million sheep so I think yeah I think we'll bunker down and and get through it together. Have any of your fellow sheep farmers in this area have they said that's it I've had enough of the friggin' things? There, there is a few that have dropped off. Um, we had a sale in Condon the other day and there was two dispersal sales. Um, but I think most people are going to hold, you know, hang on. And it's, cause it's, like I said, it's not something you can just turn over yeah. overnight. So uh, there's a lot of, lot of breeding and a lot of energy have gone into those sheep. So we've got good water. If there was no water around, it would be a completely different situation. So... Yeah, I think we'll, we'll be hanging for the, for the short term at least. Well, best of luck for harvest, particularly after this very hot weekend. And best of luck for this weekend because you're head of security and anyone who's coming, you should be very fearful. The head of security here is brutal, absolutely brutal. He is one man mountain. <laughs> as, we, as, as it's uh, getting close to four to one on the country out, Bell, you might remember a few years ago I chatted to a young guy, Cadell, Cadell Bowie, and... He sunk the boot into his gran and caused quite a bit of a stir in the cooling community and he is with me now. Cadell, how old are you now? Fourteen. Fourteen. And can you remember when you sunk the boot into uh, to gran? Yeah, I can, actually. Yeah. But I, 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 I figured out that she does quite a bit. I, asked you, at, I asked you at the time what she does and your answer was? Not much. Not much, no. She's been head of the bar for how many years? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight years. <laughs> She does a fair bit. What? Where are you now? Um. As in, where do you go to school? Oh, I go to Wesley College in Perth. How long have you been going there for? Just this year. Started there this year. How have you found it? It's all right. Yeah? Yeah. You behaving yourself? Oh, I wouldn't say I'm behaving, but <laughs> I'm getting by. <laughs> I, I, now, because you gave your grand heaps last time, I've been doing a bit of digging on you, and I've been chatting to your younger brother, Ned. And he reckons you've uh, you've been in detention a couple of times. Would that be right? Yeah, that would be correct. He also asked me to say, ask him about his driving ability. Oh, I think it's pretty good. Do you? Yeah. Yeah? You didn't have any near misses recently? No, no. Oh, where's Ned? No, that never happened. Ne- never, happened. never happened? Never hey, happened. What, what, you a pretty good motorbike rider? Yeah. What about yesterday? Oh, come off yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I just went into a corner too quick and went over. Now, very quickly before we go, we're running out of time, but I've heard on the weekends, when you're at Wesley, on the weekends, you've picked yourself up a pretty decent job, haven't you? Yeah, I've got work at a butcher just down on Angelo Street. Um, In South Perth? Yeah. Yeah? Just d- down, like, straight across from Wesley and... Boarding house lets me go, so... What sort of hours do you do there on a Saturday? Oh, usually I work from about 10 till 5, 5.30. How are you finding it? It's good. It's good fun. Fantastic. Do they treat you okay? Yeah, they treat me good. Yeah, more to the point, do you treat them okay? Yeah. (laughs) 
Because when you get in trouble with knives, things get fairly serious. Yeah, very, very serious. You don't want to pick a fight with a butcher, let me tell you. No. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time with the country. And also, I reckon you better tell uh, tell your, your grand, Robbie, that you actually do know that she does a bit of work yeah. when the races are on. <laughs> I'll tell her I redeemed myself. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, Bell, the only mistake I've made this weekend is I forgot to bring some cash to put into the two-up, so it's, it's probably a good thing, actually. I don't stand to lose too much money. Oh, Richard, that's just typical. You always forget your wallet and your cash and your card, so <laughs> no surprise. I don't think anyone would be surprised there at the races. Hey, thank you for that. That was fun. I was, um, I'm glad to go full circle uh, with, uh, was it Grandma? Head of the bar? Grand- Grandma yeah. Robbie, Robbie Bowie, Robbie. yeah. yeah she She's working like that. a Trojan now. She's got sweat <laughs> pouring off the bow. <laughs> I'm sure she is. Hey, thanks for that. That was really nice. I loved it. Uh, Richard Hudson uh, getting the tough gig, heading out to Coolan this afternoon. Oh, we hit the road very early this morning um, out at Coolan and busy time, not only harvest time, but the big event this weekend, the annual bush race. Three minutes to one. It's off to the wool market. Now, not a lot of movement in the market this week. The Eastern Market Indicator up three cents to close at 1,138 cents a kilogram clean and the Western Market Indicator up one cent to close at 1,263 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett pretty much unchanged this week. Yeah, that's how it played out through the three centres. The finer end dropped off a touch and the broader end picked up a touch. That reflected in Fremantle with the 17 microns losing 10 clean for the week to close at 1660. 18s fell 15 clean, closing 14.75. 19 microns were 13.85 in the clean, they were minus 10. 20 microns remained par over both days, closing 13.05 in Fremantle. 21s gained 15 cents, 12.90 on the close. 22s up 10 cents, 12.55 on the close. Pieces and bellies, as I mentioned last week, the difference in price between fleece and pieces has been fairly tight. Well, that was reflected in the market this week as the finer end of pieces and bellies fell 30 to 40 clean, with the mediums falling 10 cents clean. I did receive a call after last week's report asking what would be the norm in the spread of prices. What I can tell you in the last 20 years, the difference in price between pieces and belly, uh, pieces and fleece has spent 90% of its time above today's price. So looking at today, about $1.20, if you're looking at 18, 19 micron, 90% of the time in the last 20 years, that spread in price is greater than $1.20. If we look at the medium types, that's roughly sitting at the 70 to 30% uh, decile, so 70% of its time above today's price in, in between those two. You look at locks up 25. So in the last three weeks, we've seen locks up and down all over the show, up 25 this week. Crutching stains fully firm for the week. And lambs, since uh, we started to receive those onto the market probably three to four weeks ago, were probably selling in buyer's favour this week. Danny, who was buying? Well, we had the same uh, buyers as last week. They just swapped places. We had Endeavour Wool taking 14% of the offering. That is Merino um, Fleece Wool. We had Tech Wool trading 12.5%, Morris 12.5%, TNU just shy of 12.5%. And if we look at that um, Endeavour wool, that's 2,785 bars of fleece wool. Tech wool, 2,530, just to give you some rough idea of what that quantity is. And if we look at the country of destination, we can pretty much say that's China, China, China and China. 80% of the wool being sold at the auction so far this year has 80% of that has had directly to China, 6% to India and 4% to Italy. 
And what's on offer next week? Next week, Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle, 42,266 bars to be precise. I would suggest that's still uh, falling well in the range of um, encouraging a reasonable wool market. Once we get to those 50,000s, that will certainly test the wool market given current demand. Thank you, Danny. News time, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.